The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell. The floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, but it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine, but does not act on them, will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell. The floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. The Gospel of the Lord. Typically, when we celebrate the Feast of a Saint, the date on which we celebrate their memory is the date on which they are born again to eternal life, the date of their death. St. Ambrose, whose memorial we celebrate today, is an exception to that very typical rule in the church, because on December 7th, St. Ambrose was baptized, confirmed, made his first communion, was ordained, and then consecrated bishop. That's a big day. <laughs> and it is the date of his consecration as a bishop that is used to mark his memorial. And in doing so, the church looks at that moment of Ambrose being designated Bishop of Milan as something decisive for the entire people of God. Ambrose was a lawyer and then a governor of just, fair, and good man, of a believing family, but not baptized because the custom back then took baptism so seriously, especially in its aspect of being the first sacrament of forgiveness, that it was typical, especially among men, to want to get everything out of your system before you approach the waters of baptism. And so culturally, the baptism of adults was common for that reason. When the Bishop of Milan died and there was no successor who seemed worthy by the acclamation of the faithful, Ambrose was chosen and accepted. And so things happened quickly. But, and so, after, so it's after he becomes consecrated a bishop that he begins the formal study of theology. And remarkably, that study bore fruits almost immediately, including down the road the eventual conversion of the great doctor, St. Augustine, who sat in church and listened to the preaching of Ambrose, and his heart was moved. 
Ambrose is considered one of the great doctors of the church. In other words, he didn't merely study theology. He didn't merely read sacred scripture. He let the faith that he was trying to understand become the true master and governor of his heart in such a way that his study and his living became a peace with one another. And so it is absolutely wonderful that we celebrate this man's memory on a day where we have these particular readings placed in front of us. These readings which speak of rocks and cities and houses. But we begin not with our gospel reading, but with the first reading from the prophet Isaiah, speaking of the great city and the Lord being the rock upon which that city is established. And because the city is founded upon that rock, established upon that secure foundation, it is an enduring city, in fact, a strong city, with the audibility to receive an entire nation within it. And again, Scripture will often use these puzzling images. A city is a much smaller reality than a nation. And yet, somehow this city will open its gates, it will let in a nation. What a remarkable image that is. But as the prophet continues, Speaking of the Lord being the rock upon which the true city is founded, he then speaks of the way the Lord humbles and brings to nothing the exalted city, the mighty city, the proud city. And in speaking that way, the prophet again makes use of a stunning image. Because normally when we consider how the world works, there are the mighty and the powerful and those who are not mighty and not powerful. There are the wealthy and there are the poor. There are the strong and there are the weak. And in worldly terms, we know how that plays out, don't we? The strong dominate the weak. The rich make use of the poor or neglect them. There are the important and the unimportant. The important make the decisions. The unimportant are on the receiving end of the decisions that are made. And yet we hear that as the Lord brings down the mighty and the proud city, it is ground to dust under the footsteps of the poor. What a remarkably powerful and surprising image that is. This image of the poor moving forward, of the needy moving forward. And if we pause and consider that for a moment, we are reminded of the Lord's words, the poor you will always have with you. One of the essences of this world is that we are, in fact, all needy, all in our own way, poor. And it is those who know their poverty, those who know their need, who are capable of responding to the Lord. It is the humble position, and it moves forward. And so ironically, it is, in a sense, the poor and the needy who will not simply surpass, but will erase the arrogant from the earth. What a remarkable image that is. 
that one that sets itself up in a false security will come to nothing. Overcome by humility, overcome by need, which as the Lord moves everything forward, is especially careful of moving the needy and the poor forward with him. We come then out of that to the gospel reading of today, where the Lord gives the famous parable of the house built on solid rock. And so again, note how all of these pieces come together. The example of Ambrose, the prophecy that we hear from Isaiah. And the Lord begins with knowing what I say and knowing who I am is good and necessary but it's not enough. And so looking out at those who are listening to him, note how he begins. Not everybody who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. And that goes against a certain shallow understanding of Christianity, which seems to hold that just recognizing and declaring that Jesus is my Lord is enough. When I do that, I'm good. And note what Christ says here. No, that's not even close to being true. Because anyone can just say that. Calling me Lord means nothing if it's done the wrong way. And then he explains what he means. Calling me Lord without doing the will of my Father is to lie. It is to use my name wrongly. In fact, that is the very essence of what a violation of the second commandment is, which is not the prohibition on using dirty words. We shouldn't. But the real issue of the commandment is attaching God's name to something that really isn't his. And so note, to call me your Lord while living a life that doesn't conform to me what does that even mean? It is to cloak your unfaithfulness behind the words of what is actually true. And so the Lord continues then. The one who listens to my words. In other words, the one who recognizes my voice, who hears what I say, who understands it, and acts according to it is the one who founds his home on solid rock. However, the one who listens to my words, in other words, who recognizes my voice, who knows who I am, who knows what I say and understands it and does nothing with it, is a fool. A fool whose life is headed toward disaster. And it's important to recognize that. Jesus doesn't say here that person is simply misguided. Jesus doesn't say here that person is simply a little bit off course. The example is stunning. He is a fool whose life is headed toward destruction. And the example he uses to explain that 
is now the famous parable of the house. And note, two houses are built. The wise man builds a house. The fool builds a house. Both say, you are my Lord. Both know the teaching of the Lord. Note how everything looks the same so far? They both know the Lord. They both call him Lord. They both know his teaching. They both have built homes. It all looks the same. And so the first thing now Jesus is saying is, outward appearances are not always trustworthy. Because what is wrong and what is disordered can often look like what is good, what is wholesome, what is right, what is safe, and what is successful. The Lord will bring to nothing the proud city. However, something will reveal the truth. And so note what happens. Equally to both homes comes the storm. And again, note the parable. The wise man isn't given a free pass on the coming of the storm. <clears throat> Rather, the winds rage against the house. The rains come down upon that house. Thunder echoes around that house. It is shaken. It is attacked by the storm in all of its violence. But that house remains standing. But in that same storm, there's the other house. And the result is exactly the opposite. The floods rise. The rains come down. The winds blow against that house. Thunder echoes all around it. And it comes completely crashing down into nothingness. And so note, the Lord insists to every life, sooner or later, the storm does come. To everyone, sooner or later, the difficult moment arrives. To every single one, there will be a storm. The question is, what kind of house have you made? And the image of a house is important. Because as the Lord is speaking here, he's not speaking about single choices and single actions. You don't build a house in a minute, do you? In fact, here with all the zoning codes and all the permissions and everything else you need, it can take a couple years. You know, we've, been, we've been watching the house next door come up for a good two and a half years now. And they're still not done. Um, it takes a while to build a house, and biblically the image of building a house is establishing a life. When one is building a house, one's not just doing physical construction, one is establishing a life for oneself and for one's family. So note what the Lord is saying, that one who is properly established is that one who not only knows me, who not only knows what I say, but who regularly 
is trying to do it. That one who habitually knows me makes a shallow profession of knowledge of me and love for me, who knows basically what I teach, but who makes no effort to live it day after day, month after month, year after year, is building a life for himself that, however wonderful it appears in the eyes of the world, is a life that will not survive and will not endure when the storms come. What a remarkably powerful moment that is. And the church gives us this moment here that we see that there is a fundamental element about the Lord moving history forward, about the Lord who is coming again, is that sooner or later he will be the one who probes the secure foundations of our houses. He will be the one to pronounce whether it is sand or whether it is rock but he is also the one who gives us the secret. That one who listens to what I say, remembers it, works to understand it, and begins to act upon it, in other words, to live out of it, to live by means of it, to live through it, is that one whose living will move through the storm without being destroyed. Shaken, perhaps, but not harmed. What a remarkably powerful image that is. And we have this here in the first week of Advent, because all through Advent, what are we saying? Lord, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. And the implication is, let's make sure we're calling out the right way. Because not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, come, will be saved. Rather, that one who is willing to truly open his heart and open his life. Popularly around us, we are today in our present age and across history, it's been a continual struggle for the people of God to remember that we are called to a living that is more than just simply a shallow and bland faithfulness. It is easy to go through the motions. It is easy to pay literal lip service to the elements of faith. It is a difficult thing to be about the nuts and bolts of committed living of the faith. But note how wonderful it is. And note that the Lord says, when the storm comes, when the test comes, when the ultimate moment comes, how are you ready? By doing the small things which are the great things. You know my word. Try and follow it. How marvelously simple that is. How marvelously simple that is. Because ironically, what often happens is when the moment of crisis comes and we're caught unprepared, what do we reach for? We try to grab dramatic solutions. But there is no dramatic solution that saves anyone. Salvation is forged out of simpler and mightier things. This is also that image then of the proud city ground to dust 
under the forward movement of the needy, of the poor, of those who know their need and know the one who fulfills it and will continue moving forward toward him. What a marvelous image that is. And it's good, it's good that we can do that here, where from this altar we can receive the Lord who meets us here in this place. And if the Lord is the solid rock upon which the secure city is founded, how wonderful it is that we can receive him into our hearts today and establish our lives on that great foundation. Amen.